The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawkbox this Monday morning. These are your headlines. Uh, the US and China preparing to hold higher level talks in Rome amid reports suggesting Russia has asked Beijing for military equipment to support its invasion of Ukraine. US National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan tells NBC he will have a clear message for China. We will ensure that neither China nor anyone else can compensate Russia for these losses. In terms of the specific means of doing that, uh, again, I'm not going to lay all of that out in public, right. but we will communicate that privately to China as we have already done uh, and will continue to do. Russia, meanwhile, is threatening to make bond payments in rubles as the IMF's Kristalina Gorgieva warns a Russian default is no longer an improbable event ahead of a deadline this Wednesday. At least 35 are killed and more than 130 injured after Russia attacks a military training base in western Ukraine, just 25 kilometers from Poland. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky warns allies Putin will not stop at the border. I'll reiterate now that if you don't close our skies, then it's just a matter of time before Russian missiles will hit your territory. And mixed markets in Asia this hour with Japan and Australia higher while the Hang Seng falls weighed down by a renewed surge in COVID cases and broad weakness in technology stocks. U.S. and Chinese officials are set to meet in Rome for talks today amid a series of reports suggesting Russia has turned to Beijing for military equipment to support its invasion of Ukraine. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is expected to warn his Chinese counterpart Yang uh, that Beijing risks damaging its economic and trade ties with the West uh, if it intervenes in the war to Russia's benefit. Speaking to NBC's Meet the Press, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said no country, China or otherwise, should be backing Russia in its assault on Ukraine or help it evade sanctions. We have made it clear to not just Beijing, but every country in the world that if uh, they think that they can basically bail Russia out, they can give Russia a workaround to the sanctions that we've imposed, uh, they should have another thing coming because we will ensure that neither China nor anyone else can compensate Russia for these losses. In terms of the specific means of doing that, uh, again, I'm not going to lay all of that out in public, right. but we will communicate that privately to China as we have already done uh, and will continue to do. Well, Russia is apparently hoping that China can help it replenish weapons and other armaments. Three U.S. officials have confirmed to NBC that Moscow has asked for Beijing's assistance as it runs short of some equipment. China has so far taken a cautious approach to the Russian-Ukraine war, refusing to condemn President Putin's actions.
Russia has indicated it's also counting on China to help it shore up its economy, while roughly half its $640 billion in reserves remain frozen under Western sanctions. Finance Minister Anton Silyanov told Russian TV he expects economic relations with Beijing to strengthen as the country finds itself increasingly isolated from the West. Silyanov also stressed Russia would still be able to capitalize on its gold and yuan FX reserves. Sam Vadas has more. Thanks very much, Juliana. Well, it'll be very interesting to see how uh, Young Jae and also Jake Sullivan certainly play uh, this one later on uh, today over in Rome, particularly given the latest news lines that's been coming out regarding this in the last 24 hours with a number of those reports that you just mentioned. Uh, but also given that Jake Sullivan, as you heard uh, just a, a few minutes ago, has been fairly forward and pretty blunt when it comes to, uh, you know, saying that the US will not tolerate China or any country for that matter, really helping Russia out here uh, in getting around these sanctions. And so uh, no doubt uh, this meeting and this whole situation will have huge ramifications and implications, certainly for the US-China relationship uh, at the moment. And uh, no doubt uh, Jake Sullivan will be going into this meeting uh, over in Rome with uh, Yang Jiechi uh, with a pretty stern message for Beijing. And there has been some suggestion uh, that perhaps he'll be trying to uh, figure out exactly uh, what limits there are on the this so-called no-limits partnership that uh, President Putin and President Xi Jinping have certainly declared. There has been a lot of hope, as you suggested, that China may actually use its close ties with Moscow to try to mediate somewhat here. There's been uh, no suggestion of that so far. As far as China is feeling heading into this meeting later on today over in Rome, uh, Chinese officials, we don't really get a sense of how they're thinking going into these sorts of high-level talks in contrast, uh, certainly to the U.S., uh, but we have seen in Chinese state media that they are calling this a positive sign. And uh, as Jeff rightly mentioned, there is this expectation that perhaps the U.S. might be looking at China uh, to play mediator here. But no doubt uh, China will be going into this and won't appreciate any sort of perceived pressure to choose any sort of side. And we have actually seen a tweet coming from the very typically outspoken Hu Jin, who used to be the uh, editor over at the Global Times. He has said that if Sullivan thinks he can persuade persuade China to participate in sanctions against Russia, he will be disappointed. He then went on later in the day to then tweet again, I think China and the US uh, should reach an agreement. Uh, all countries should stop providing military assistance to any side of the Russia-Ukraine conflict and only humanitarian aid should be allowed. And that did come after suggestions that perhaps Russia was looking at China uh, for some help here and uh, certainly a lot of media reports suggesting that Russia had asked China for some military equipment which is something uh, that China has denied. But certainly that's raised a lot of concerns uh, over in Washington for certainly undermining uh, what is going on and the helpful Ukraine at the moment. I think it's important to point out that this meeting that will be held in Rome later on today had been in the works for some time now as part of efforts to actually manage uh, the competition between the US and China. Uh, it actually reportedly is a follow-up meeting after we saw that phone call between Biden uh, and Xi Jinping at the the 
end of last year, but particularly given now that we have seen these uh, es this escalation in these developments, no doubt Ukraine uh, certainly will be a big focus. Uh, last week, uh, China did echo uh, Russia's PR uh, on Ukraine, which has suggested that perhaps we are starting to see a sort of more pro-Russian stance, which has raised a lot of concern uh, over in the US that uh, China is sort of taking Moscow's side at the moment. Uh, there has been some suggestion that in terms of any sort of outcome from this meeting today, we're probably not expecting to get anything very significant. Uh, this is really just a chance for the US and China to lay out how they feel and where they stand on this issue and to do it face to face, looking at each other in their eyes. Guys, back to you in London. Sam, excellent coverage there. Thank you very much indeed for that. Right, let's get into this uh, Russia bond story. Russia says it could pay off this week's sovereign bond repayment in rubles rather than dollars. Slight problem is in the contract, there is no provision for rubles to be paid back rather than dollars. Now, two dollar-denominated bonds with a combined $117 million in interest payments are slated to mature on Wednesday. That's the 16th, according to JP Morgan, Russia's finance minister. And I'll just add in very well-respected long-term finance minister Anton Siluanov uh, told Russian TV it is, quote, absolutely fair for Moscow to pay its interest payments in rubles, whilst roughly half of its reserves remain frozen under Western sanctions. Um, let's take a quick look at the ruble there. Uh, trading 125 um, is the official rate versus the greenback. Now, the IMF's managing director, Kristalina Gorgieva, says a Russian debt default is no longer viewed as improbable. She added that the economy is also expected to fall into a deep recession this year as Western sanctions take hold. However, the spillover effects are not expected to trigger a global financial crisis, with Gorgieva saying that the $120 billion in foreign banks' exposure to Russia was, quote, not systemically relevant. Um, I should say, just before we get into the chat here, um, that Ukraine-Russia talks are due to begin again today via video conference at 10.30 Kiev time. Kiev is trading at two hours ahead of us here in London. So in just uh, over two hours' time, uh, we are expecting new Russia-Ukraine talks. And there was a little bit of limited hope over the weekend that talks are making some progress. Right, Juliana um, and Jeff, um, I, I understand what Gorgieva is saying there. When you look at the numbers themselves and you compare it with the Russia default in 98 or other sovereign defaults uh, across the board, it seems very limited to compared to what we've seen earlier. Plus, of course, people have been very, very well prepped for this. Let's go through some numbers. They we're talking about $117 million uh, in payments due compared to hundreds of billions uh, for, for instance, the US economy in coupons on a yearly basis. Uh, Russia external liabilities in 2014 at the time of the Crimea invasion in total, according to the IIF, were $733 billion. They are now only $480 billion. Now that sounds a large number, but a large percentage of that is not the government. Most of it is corporations and most of it is households. So they have $40 billion at a government level in sovereign debt and $28 billion uh, in overseas from overseas investors uh, in rubles as well. So we're talking about $40 billion of uh, foreign currency bonds in total, of which only $20 billion, I am told, are held by foreigners. So now we're down to 20 billion exposure to foreigners. And just to give you an example of how that is a small amount in the global system, we understand that PIMCO has roughly $1.5 billion position in Russian sovereign debt. 
PIMCO has $2.2 trillion in assets. So whilst I understand that any sovereign debt at a state level uh, is a significant factor, we have enormous pressures on the Russian economy, which of course has been running large current account surpluses for a very long time. I think in terms of the global impact and the concern about a run on EM currencies or run on EM debt as well, it seems unlikely this time considering the numbers be much smaller. Jeff, why don't you jump in on this one? Yeah, no, absolutely, Steve. And I think it was useful that uh, Ms. Gorgieva gave that clarity over the weekend because I think the the real consequence of this is is not specifically, I think, for our audience, whether it has an impact on one or two Western asset managers. I think the, uh, the real question is, what is the contagion risk at this point in terms of uh, other sovereign debt and in emerging markets specifically. And I think you've done a very neat job of defining the, the potential exposure. And uh, Madame Gorgieva has done a good job of telling us that, quite frankly, as the IMF assesses its impact, it doesn't see this as being a contagion risk at this point. And, th- and that, of course, is useful. And I think as far as the, the, uh, the bondholders are concerned and whether Russia is prepared to uh, make whole these bondholders, uh, time will tell. I'm no bond specialist, but this is explicable, if not desirable. I think everybody understands the circumstances and the question of why these payments in dollars uh, perhaps won't be made at this point. It's almost force majeure, isn't it, for the uh, fixed income market at this stage. I think the real question then is what arrangement Russia is prepared to make with the holders of this paper to ensure that at some point later on they're made whole for their liability. Juliana. Jeff, I would just add, and picking up on Steve's point about the difference between private sector uh, exposure at this point and public sector exposure to default, it seems as though analysts are more concerned about private sector defaults than public sector at this stage, with most uh, experts fairly comfortable with the contagion risk, given how much Russia has done since 2014 to reduce its external liabilities. But private sector uh, exposure, the scale of the problem, much bigger for Russian corporates, just under $100 billion in international bonds outstanding. So that seems to be where more of the concern lies at this stage, Steve. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, Right. For more on the West's sanctions strategy and why it may not pan out as expected, head to cnbc.com for Neil Ferguson's take on that. Jeff. Let's have a a look at uh, some of the other stories uh, that are important from the weekend. Uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine moved to the frontiers of the European Union and NATO on Sunday when a barrage of Russian missiles hit a large Ukrainian base in the town of Yavoriv, just 25 kilometres from the Polish border. Ukrainian authorities say at least 35 people were killed and 134 wounded. The attack also targeted Western military aid coming into Ukraine via that base. NBC's Molly Hunter has more. In the last 24 hours, the war is now marching west. Russia attacking Ukraine's most famous military base with 30 cruise missiles. Ukrainian officials say most were shot down. The middle of the night attack killing 35 people, injuring at least 134. The Pentagon confirming no Americans were killed. An attempt to cut off Ukraine's supply of weapons from the West. The sprawling training facility used for NATO military drills dangerously close to the Polish border. We will defend every inch of NATO territory. 
20 miles away, air raid sirens the morning after, shattering this western city's sense of safety. Lviv has been the relative safe haven. It has been the destination for people fleeing the violence in the east, and it's the departure point for anyone leaving the country to Poland or elsewhere in Europe. After the last couple of days, though, for refugees, for residents, for anyone in the city, the risk calculation of staying is starting to change. I feel that something new is in the air. There is no safe place in Ukraine right now because uh, you're in war with a country who has missiles who can fly to any capital in uh, European Union. Amid heavy shelling to the north inside the capital, President Zelensky seen walking to a military hospital and awarding wounded soldiers with presidential medals. In the southeast, the situation growing more dire in the besieged city of Mariupol, cut off from water, food, heat and electricity for more than a week. A convoy carrying 100 tons of aid is on its way, still 50 miles outside the city. But humanitarian corridors elsewhere appear to be working. Zelensky said 125,000 people have been evacuated in the last few days. As Russian forces gain ground in the east, Ukrainians protesting the occupation. But in Lviv, a city coming together. As the war grows closer, 63-year-old Miroslav says he never thought he'd have to pick up another gun. But we will protect our city, he says. I remember how to shoot and kill. The White House has approved an additional $200 million in arms and equipment for Ukraine. The latest package, which officials say includes Javelin anti-tank missiles and Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, follows $350 million in U.S. military aid approved last month. The weapons come from existing U.S. military stockpiles in Europe and will be transported overland into western Ukraine. Talks will continue between Russia and Ukraine today, with officials on both sides offering cautious optimism. This comes after negotiations between the two countries' foreign ministers in Turkey last week yielded no progress in securing a ceasefire or humanitarian quarters to evacuate civilians. A Ukrainian presidential advisor has confirmed today's talks will take place via video link. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said the main task of the talks would be to arrange a meeting between himself and Russian President Vladimir Putin. Representatives of our countries are holding daily talks via video conference. Our delegation has a clear task to do everything to arrange the meeting of the presidents. The meeting, I'm sure, people are waiting for. It's clear that it's a difficult story, difficult path, but we need the path. Uh, France, Britain and Germany have warned Russia that its demands around the Iran nuclear deal could completely derail the late-stage talks. Negotiators had reportedly been close to an agreement until Moscow's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov made demands last week, tying the deal to assurances that Iran's trade with Russia would not be affected by Western sanctions. Europe's three representatives to the so-called Joint Comprehensive Plan for Action uh, said the move risks a collapse of the entire deal. Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much indeed, Steve. Well, China's zero COVID policy hitting some speed humps yet again, it seems. Uh, a renewed COVID surge in key manufacturing hubs will have implications for the economy and, of course, for the rest of the world. We'll bring you details when we come back. And for more on the diplomatic talks around Russia and Ukraine today, check out the Squawk Box podcast.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Welcome back, everybody. Shenzhen, home to 17 and a half million people, has been put under lockdown for at least a week amid a growing coronavirus outbreak there. Residents of the Chinese tech hub will be subjected to three rounds of mass testing now. China reported 1,800 new symptomatic cases on Sunday. That is a two-year high. Meanwhile, just across the uh, the border into Hong Kong, Chief Executive Carrie Lam has warned the city still isn't past its COVID peak after more than 60,000 new cases were reported over the weekend. So two very important stories as we watch these Asian markets, Juliana. Jeff, thank you. Well, clearly those stories are having an impact on trade in Asia. We've got the Hang Seng down nearly 4% among the worst hit stocks in Hong Kong are those tech giants. And as you mentioned, Jeff, before the break, China's Silicon Valley manufacturing hub ordered production halts to control this latest COVID spike. The Shanghai Composite down more than 2%, but we do have some green on the board. Nikkei 225 up about six tenths of a percent. We've also got a little bit of green for the Australian index. Um, turning to you, futures. Let's take a look at how Wall Street is poised to open. We've got a bounce back um, looking to take shape. Uh, the Dow Jones looking at about triple digit uh, gains and nearly 260 points or so at this stage. The Nasdaq and the S&P 500 also in for a positive start to today's trading session. Last week, of course, incredibly volatile trade. This is where we ended the week. Um, overall, we saw the Dow Jones pull back about 2% for the week overall. The S&P 500 nearly 3% and the Nasdaq about 3.5%. Here's the picture of U.S. markets and how we closed up shop at the end of last week. Red for all three major indices, but as you saw there, um, U.S. futures are looking at a rebound this morning. Now turning to fixed income, let's take a look at treasuries. Uh, We've got a big week from a central bank perspective with the Federal Reserve meeting uh, this week. Um, The big question, of course, whether they begin hiking rates at this meeting. Uh, Right now, we've got to the U.S. 10-year trading around 2.05%, so above the 2% mark uh, out of the front end of the curve or toward the front end, uh, U.S. two-year trading around 1.8%. Taking a look at currencies, let's see how the dollar is faring this morning. We've got the dollar um, trading on the back foot versus the euro. We've got the euro up about six basis points or so. Sterling, meanwhile, is trading lower versus the dollar down about 13 basis points to 130.18. We did see the U.S. dollar rise about 0.5% last week as investors sought out safety. Um, turning to commodities, let's take a look at WTI and Brent and where we stand right now. WTI pulling back about 2.7%. We did see a retreat on Friday, both WTI uh, and Brent uh, ending the week lower, but it was, a, a, again, a volatile uh, s- handful of trading days for oil. Brent currently around $109 a barrel. And here you've got gold trading around 1973. 
Steve. Right, yes. Um, well, it seems extraordinary that we haven't even had the Fed's first rate hike yet. We've been talking about it for months. But the US and the UK central banks both convene this week, uh, both expected to raise interest rates. The Fed kicks off the central bank action tomorrow and will announce its decision on Wednesday. Analysts widely expecting a quarter point hike from the current target level near zero. This would be the Fed's first interest rate increase since December 2018. The Bank of England embarked on its tightening earlier and is expected to hike the main rate for the third time in a row. A lot of commentary about what the Fed will or won't do this week as well. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about the 25 basis point. It's about what happens in the presser and indeed on the SEP, otherwise known as the dot plot to you, ladies and gentlemen, as well. The dot plot on future rate hikes and inflation and wage growth uh, will be absolutely interesting. I know Jeff's been talking a lot about perhaps stalled wage growth in the latest non-farm payroll that we had just over a week ago. But obviously, a uh, real concern that that the upward trajectory main, remains very, very solid. And you'll notice, ladies and gentlemen, the latest jolts data where over 11 million jobs vacancies are still very much there in the United States, near the record levels we've ever seen. And yet the official unemployment levels of uh, below 6 million uh, clearly leaves a bit of a problem on that front as well. So look at the comments on wage inflation uh, and whether uh, it is becoming a vicious cycle in terms of second round effects. You can see that Treasuries are now trading solidly uh, above 2% at 2.05. Uh, take a look at the short end as well. I noticed not on that chart though that the five-year is still trading just a tad below 2%. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.